Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are a, an awesome God, a holy God, a righteous God. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much, that you'd rather die than live without us. And Lord, I pray as we look at your word tonight, that though this chapter was written some 3,500 years ago, I thank you, Lord, that it still applies to every, room, every person in the room tonight. Lord, I thank you that it is such a clear picture of Jesus, a clear picture of the crucifixion. 1,500 years before it even took place. So, Father, I just pray as we look at the, the prophetic word tonight, Lord, that it would minister to every single heart that's here. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Last, as we've been going through Leviticus, we saw in the first 10 chapters that we really looked at the sacrificial system. We talked about how every one of the sacrifices, and we'll be touching on them a little bit tonight because a couple of them are mentioned in the, in the text, but each one of the sacrifices points clearly to Jesus Christ being the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that the Old, that the Old Testament saints were looking for, that He was the answer, and he, it was through Him that the atoning work took place. So verse, chapters 1 through 10, we see worshiping the Lord, we see that reconnection through the sacrificial system. Then the rest of the chapters of Leviticus, from chapter 11 through 27, we go from worshiping the Lord to walking with the Lord. It's our day-to-day relationship that we have with Him. And chapters 11 through 15, we've been looking at the laws of purification, the difference between that which is clean and that which is unclean. An easy way to remember that, clean means acceptable before God, and unclean means unacceptable before God. Now, in the last few chapters, we saw clean and unclean diet or food. We talked about that. And again, I I don't have time to go into it in detail because we've got 57 verses to look at tonight. But the tapes are available. They're always free, just like the gospel is, so help yourself. Um, We looked at the defilement that comes in birth. We looked at uh, leprosy, beginning looking at leprosy last week. We'll begin and we'll look at personal relationships next week. And so we see the causes and cures of these physical impurities, every single one of them has a spiritual message behind it. And so last week we looked at the laws concerning leprosy and we saw how you diagnose leprosy. And remember, again, I don't mean to be extremely graphic, but I think you need to be. Leprosy is a type of what? Sin. And leprosy is something that they would bring someone before the priest and the priest would examine them to determine whether or not they had leprosy. And remember that leprosy would always start with the swelling of the skin. You know, a raising up of the flesh, if you will, right? Same is true with us, that sin begins with pride. And so too it would begin leprosy, that the, that the outward appearance of it. But it would grow really under the skin where people could not see it. And it would spread rapidly. And it would eventually get to the point where your body would just start to decay. And it was, just, it was just a vile and grotesque disease. Eventually what would happen is your flesh would literally just start eating itself away. You begin to, your bones would soften, your, the, the gums would recede away, the teeth would begin to fall out, the appendages, the fingers, and the toes, and even your nose eventually would disappear or fall off. I mean, this was a heavy-duty disease. And on top of that, you'd be covered with sores that were oozing. I mean, just a great disease you'd really want to have, right? I mean, leprosy. Now, along with all of that, it would also not only be this grotesque disease, a death sentence. If someone said, you have leprosy, all it meant was, you are going to die. It's not if, it's just when. And on the way to death, you're going to decay in the most grotesque way. But then, the other consequences would be that you would immediately be isolated. 
No longer could you have fellowship with your family. You couldn't go see your friends anymore. You couldn't go to the temple anymore. You couldn't worship in the place of worship anymore. Because of this leprosy, you were separated. It would devastate your home. It would devastate your marriage. It would devastate your family. And then if you were walking down the street and you saw someone who was clean coming towards you, which didn't typically happen because you were banished to a leper's, leper's colony usually, but if you accidentally came near to somebody who was clean, if you got within 100 yards of them, you'd have to cover up your face and shout out, unclean, at the top of your lungs. It was a constant reminder that I'm a dead man, and my death is sure, and on the way there, it's just going to be torturous. So leprosy is a type of sin because sin does the same thing. What does sin do? Sin is something that grows where people don't see it, and it spreads. And it spreads to the point where eventually what happens is it produces death. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, now every single person on this planet dies. One out of every one person dies, right? Results are in, right? Everybody's going to die. And so sin is what brought forth death. And leprosy is a type or a picture of that. So we left off last week seeing just the heinous things that, that it can do, that leprosy can do. And we saw the, them being brought before the priest, and we saw again just, it was just devastating. It was a death sentence. And we know this too, I mentioned last week, that over 1,500 years recorded in the Bible from this chapter until Jesus comes, how many people do we see getting healed of leprosy? One. A man by the name of Naaman. Now what's interesting about that is he was a, a Syrian, he was a, a Gentile. He was not even a Jew. So when he was cleansed, he didn't even go to the priest, as we're going to see tonight, and present himself to the priest. So for 1,500 years, they're going to carry this law around that we're going to look at in chapter 14, and they're never going to use it. Because lepers, leprosy in those days was a one-way ticket. Here's what happened. You got diagnosed, you were a dead man. Just a matter of time. The one thing, too, about leprosy that's interesting is leprosy isolated you, but it brought torment forever, in the sense, and picture of hell. Because that's what sin does to us. It isolates us, it separates us, and it eventually brings us to a place where we're going to spend eternity in torment. And that's what leprosy did. So we pick up tonight, and we're going to go from the diagnosis of leprosy to speaking about what do you do if someone has truly been cleansed of leprosy. Again, something that had never happened until Jesus came. When Jesus came, did he heal lepers? All the time. Jesus came and healed lepers, and every time he healed a leper, what did he tell him to do? Go and, what? Go and sin no more, but something else. Go and show yourself to the priest. Because these priests have been carrying this book, this, this law around for 1,500 years, and they've never used it. Every leper that came before them, they sent them to the leper colony, and they never saw him again. Never. They were gone for good. It was a one-way ticket. Sin, separation, leprosy, torment, you were just going to die. Can you imagine being a priest and you proclaim someone with leprosy and you've been doing this and you've heard about it for the last 1,500 years, you've never seen anybody come back and then someone comes walking back in one day and says, you know what? I'm not a leper anymore. Dude, what are you talking about? No, wait a minute. Wait. No, get over here. Let me inspect you. And you know what? The only people that went from being in a place of torment and suffering that never went away to those who were healed or cleansed of this leprosy were the ones touched by who? Jesus Christ. And so the same is true of us today. The only one that can cleanse us of our sin is Jesus Christ. So let's begin. We're going to look at the, the ritual for cleansing the healed lepers, and then the law concerning even a leprous house. So let's begin, again, a prophetic picture, and I want you to see this. this is, if, you're, if you're paying attention halfway tonight, you had a long day, you've been pounding nails for 16 hours, you haven't slept for four days, and you're on 
You, you know, you just had a rock star to stay awake during, during uh, church tonight. Here's the reality. If you're just halfway awake, you've got to see the crucifixion and the resurrection in the first seven verses tonight. It's incredible. Remember, written 1,500 years before the cross. Look at verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper. For the day of his cleansing, he shall be brought to the priest. Now, God's instruction to Moses concerning, and again, every one of them is going to point to the Messiah. And the first thing that happened to the leper is when he was cleansed, he was brought to the who? To the priest. The priest is a type or a picture of whom in the Bible? Jesus Christ. Who's the great high priest right now? Who's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us daily? Jesus Christ. Do we need priests on this planet anymore? Why not? Because we got the great high priest. Amen? We don't need another man to intercede on our behalf because we have Jesus Christ. We don't need to go to a man who is a sinner in need of a Savior himself because we've got one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, one who triumphed over sin and death, and we can go to him. So the leper is then brought before the priest that the priest might examine that he truly has been cleansed. When we stand before Almighty God one day, who is it that's going to judge us? Who does the Bible say is going to judge us? Jesus will. And so he's the one that paid the price. He's the one that suffered and died. And he's the one that's going to stand in the gap for us on judgment day. So they're brought to the priest. And though healed physically, still had to be examined by the priest. They were still, even though Jesus had touched them, they could not fellowship. They could not go back and be with their family yet. They could not, you know, be back in a place of worship until the priest had examined them and said, truly this person has now been made clean. Verse 3. And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. Now, I like this. Where does the priest reside? Where does he spend most of his time? Where? In the temple or the tabernacle. At this point, it's a tabernacle. Later, when they settle, it'll be the temple, right? Now, the priest leaves the holy place to go out and examine the leper. What is that a picture of? What did Jesus do? He left heaven, right? We all understand that Jesus Christ always has been and always will be. He's not a created being. He's not the first of creation. He's the firstborn over creation. He's Almighty God. Amen? Jesus always has been. He is the creator. And Jesus was in heaven, and he left heaven to come to earth. He took on humanity that he might minister to us. Now, what's awesome about that is it's a picture right here 1,500 years before it happened. The priest left that holy place and went out to the lepers. Just as Jesus left the holy of holies in heaven and came down to minister to each one of us. The priest, again, being a very clear picture of Christ. Now it says there, also, we know that, where was Jesus crucified, by the way? Outside of the city gates. Those of you who go to Israel with us in March, we will go to the spot where Jesus was crucified. It's just north of Jerusalem. You go right outside the city, the city gate. You go outside and you're going to see Calvary, Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. And it's interesting, again, he left the holy, the temple. He went outside of the gates. He went out to examine the leper. Again, a very clear picture, picture of Jesus Christ. To shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper. So he's going to go, and only when he says that he has been made clean is he truly clean. So if they went to another man and duped him and fooled him into thinking that he had been made clean, that wouldn't work. Why? Because the word had to come from the priest. 
And you know what? Just because other people think you're holy doesn't mean that you are. Just because other people in the world, you've got them duped into thinking you're a real moral person or a real godly person, it doesn't matter how popular you are with men, it's where you stand before Almighty God. Amen? Who are you with Jesus? That's what matters. You can fool men, you can fool the world, you can fool your pastor, but you cannot fool God. And so they could not go to another man, they had to come to the priest. And the priest had to examine them, and only when the priest said, then and only then were they clean. Verse 4, then the priest shall command to take for, for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Now, two birds. If you look in the original language, it's literally two sparrows. You know, it's interesting, on Easter, what is the symbol in our country at Easter? The Easter what? Easter bunny. Weak. Okay. Weak. All right. Pastor Day's opinion. Easter baskets. Weak. Right? I mean, Easter eggs. Weak. I don't want my kids waking up going, where's my jelly beans? Right? Now, that's not Easter. Easter's Resurrection Sunday. Amen? But you know what? If we had to have a symbol on Easter, it shouldn't be a bunny. It really ought to be a sparrow. And let me tell you why. Because that's what was taken here. And they would take these two sparrows, because you cannot picture the resurrection with one animal. Much like they would later use the goats, they would use a goat and a scapegoat, right? Well, the same thing happens here. They take these two birds, and we're going to see what they do with them in a minute. But then it says they take cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Now, what do you think that the wood might be a picture of? It's the cross. Here we are, we're going to make this sacrifice, we're going to... to do something that we sprinkle on this man who's been cleansed of leprosy, and we're going to be picturing, they didn't know that, but we're going to be picturing the cross 1,500 years later. And so they took cedar wood. Now it's interesting that cedar of all the woods is the least corruptible of the woods. And so they take cedar wood and scarlet. Now in the Bible, scarlet or scarlet thread is a picture of what throughout the word? The blood of the cross. We talked about this, and those of you here in Exodus, when we were going through all the different materials that were in the tabernacle, and we talked about how the scarlet is a picture of the blood of Christ. The word there for scarlet is toloth. How many of you have ever heard of that word before? Toloth is a worm. It's also used in Psalm 22.6. We're, we're speaking of Jesus, it says, But I am a worm. Word there is toloth, same word for scarlet. And no man, a reproach to men, and despised by my people. Now, do you know how a toloth reproduces? This is interesting, how God is in control of science. I love people say, oh, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Well, guess what? God created science. Amen? And science points to God, and if you believed in science, you'd be worshiping the Lord. Amen? <laughs> if you truly were seeking. But a toloth, it would climb up on a branch, it would climb out on a branch, it's a worm, and it would literally attach itself to that branch. And in its reproduction, it would die. And when it would die, it would leave a red spot where it died a big red blotch on the wood. And then after a few days, that red spot would turn to a white spot and eventually it would blow away. Now, interesting that this toloth, now that's not from the Bible, that's from scientific books, okay? And you find this out about this toloth, and that's the word used here for scarlet. And isn't it interesting that it's attached itself to a tree? What's that? It's the cross. And then it, it would die in reproduction. And then it would leave a red spot there that would then, after a few days, turn white. A picture, again, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we'd be made righteous through him. And so we see here that they took cedar wood and they took this scarlet, or the word again is toloth, and then they took hyssop. Now where have we seen hyssop in the Bible? Where else have we seen hyssop? 
at the crucifixion. What did they remember when Jesus was being crucified? They took a hyssop branch and they put a sponge on it with something to drink. And they put it up before the Lord and they tried to get him to drink a cloth and they held it up to him and he wouldn't take it. But where else do we see a hyssop branch? At the Passover. Remember at Passover when the last of the plagues that finally freed them out of Egypt, do you remember what happened? They were told that the plague was coming. And those who wanted to be delivered from this plague, this angel of death that was to come, they had to take blood of a firstborn spotless lamb and then take the blood and apply it to the doorpost and the mantle and the top and the bottom, the same four spaces, places where Jesus bled on the cross. Right? He bled on, the, on his head from the crown of thorns, from his feet, where they drove the nail through his feet, from both of his hands. They were making a perfect picture of the cross using a hyssop branch. Now, I think it's interesting. They couldn't just slay the lamb. Slaying the lamb was not enough. If they went out and slayed the lamb but did not apply the blood to their doorpost, they would still die. Just because you believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he died on the cross, that's still not enough. That blood must still be applied to your life and mine. Amen? It must go beyond, I know about it. It must be something that I've applied to me. People know about Jesus. That's not enough. It's having an intimate, personal relationship with him and having that blood applied to us. And so we see here that they take this, this cedar wood, a picture of the cross, and this scarlet, or the word is toloth, and then they take a hyssop branch. All right? Verse 5. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Now, an earthen vessel, what's, again, it's a picture of Christ's humanity. An earthen vessel, the Bible refers to us as clay pots often, right? Aren't we referred to that? He's the potter and we're the clay. He molds us into his image. And he took on an earthen vessel. He came and, and became a human being. Though 100% God, he became also 100% man. It points again to his humanity. But then it says there that he'd take one of the birds to be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Now what is running water? What do you think that's a picture of? Holy Spirit and what else? The Word of God. In the Bible, water points to the Word and it points to the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some verses real quickly. Ephesians 5. It says, sanctify your homes by the washing of the water by the what? By the word of God. It also says in Psalm 119, how shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. How, do, how are you cleansed through the word? What is the water? It's the word. But also in referring to the Holy Spirit, it says in John 7, he that believes on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In John 4, Jesus answered and said to her, the woman at the well, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whatever drinks of this water that I shall give will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life. So, we see here that they take this bird and they kill it over an earthen vessel with running water, which meant they would go and they would take the water out of a spring. They would take the water somewhere where the water was running, and they would take this earthen vessel, and they would take the, 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 the bird, and they would kill it, and its blood would drip in with the water into this earthen vessel. Now, it's interesting that the water here is mixed with the blood. When Jesus died on the cross, how did they confirm that he was dead? What did they do? They put a spear where? 
in his side. And what came pouring out of him? Water and blood. And we're going to see here that they take that same mixture of water and blood, and when someone's been cleansed of leprosy, and they're brought before the priest, they would take this first bird that had been killed, and it's blood sprinkled into this earthen vessel, again, a picture of the humanity of Christ, with running water, a picture of the fact that the Holy Spirit indwelt the Lord, He and the Spirit are one, just as He and the Father are one, and they would take this mixture of water and blood, and then that's what they would sprinkle on them. But take a look here, look at verse Six. As for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them, and the living bird, in the blood of the uh, in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. So they took these implements and they dipped them in the blood. So they took the cedar wood, dipped in the blood. They took the scar, you know, the scarlet thread that was holding it together, and dipped it in the blood. They took the hyssop and they dipped it in the blood. They took everything and dipped it into the blood that it might be used. And again, the first bird here, I believe, is a very clear picture of the crucifixion. The bird died, its blood was shed, its blood was poured out upon this earthen vessel, just as it was with our Savior. And so we see here that it was killed over running water. And then it says in verse 7, And he shall sprinkle it seven times on he who is to be cleansed from leprosy. And he shall pronounce him clean, and he shall let the living bird loose in the open field. Now what he did was he would sprinkle the blood upon this leper, pronouncing that he's been clean. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Amen? Without Jesus paying the price for us, there can be no salvation. Without the pouring out of that blood, we cannot be, we cannot be born again. And so a very clear picture here, but what's interesting to me is that there's a bird that lives after this is all over. The blood's been dipped, the blood's been sprinkled, and then a blood flies off into the heavens. A clear, very clear picture to me of the resurrection. Amen? They had to use two birds because one bird couldn't do what Jesus did. Amen? You couldn't have one bird and kill it and shed its blood and then, you know, blow on it and it gets back up and starts flying around. I mean, God could certainly do that. But Jesus Christ did it. Amen? And they would use two birds to be a picture of our Savior. So this leper comes in, and what's interesting to me is already they're blown away because they've never seen a leper cleansed before, and now they've got to perform this ritual, all of which points to Jesus. Every single bit of it. Don't you love the Bible? I mean, the Bible rocks. People don't read Leviticus, but man, it's just Jesus all over this thing. And right here again, you look. Now, does this, does this describe Mohammed in here? Is this describing Buddha? Is this describing you being a really good person? No, there must be shedding of blood for remission of sins. The blood must be sprinkled upon the leper before he can be cleansed. And you and I are the lepers, you guys. And the blood must be sprinkled upon us. It must be applied to us, or we will not be able to have eternal life. Again, a very clear picture of the cross. It's interesting in, in Psalm, it says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Man, I love that. And you know what? I love Jesus' last words on the cross. We talk about it all the time. But what did he say? His last word was tetalistai, which means what? It's finished. And it's just... It's the same word they would use to mark a bill when it was paid in full. If you had a debt in the market in Jerusalem, and you went in and you finally paid that debt off, they would take that, that promissory note, or they would take that card of your debt, and they would stamp on it to Talistai. Paid in full. Redeemed. And you know what's awesome, you guys? It's because of this, this shed blood of our Savior, that when we came to Him, uh, these lepers sitting in these chairs tonight, 
And we came before him, we confessed our sin, and we asked him to be our savior. He took out the stamp of the Holy Spirit, amen, who he put to, into our heart to live inside of us, and he stamped on us to Talistai. Finished. Paid in full. Praise the Lord. Amen? And right here, all the way back in Leviticus, 1,500 years before the cross, we see a very clear picture of it. And so he says there that he shall pronounce him clean from his leprosy. He's clean. Man, what a, can you imagine being the leper? Can you imagine what it must have been like when you found out you had leprosy and you said, game over. That's it. I'm done. Now I'm just going to watch myself decay and die. I have no hope. I can never see my family again. I can never worship again. I'm done. And can you imagine that day when you were touched by Christ and then you went before the priest and the priest pronounced you clean, which meant you could go back and you could worship again. You could go home and see your family again. You could embrace your wife and your children again. What an awesome moment. We can't let this just slip by. Oh, and he pronounced them clean. Okay, next verse. I mean, this was huge for these guys. Amen? And it should be huge for us that we have been made clean through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That bird flies away. Again, a picture of the resurrection. How do we know that Jesus is God? How do we know? You know what? On, on June 8, 632 A.D., the prophet Muhammad died in the city of Medina. If we, got, if we flew over there, we could go and look at his grave, and if we had a shovel, we could dig up his bones. And if we went to India, we could dig up Buddha's bones. Those of you who go to Israel with me, I've been in the tomb, you guys, and guess what? It's empty. Amen? Just as is pictured here with that bird flying away into the heavens, so too our Savior rose from the dead. He triumphed over sin and death. Praise God, the tomb's empty. Verse 8. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair. That wouldn't take me very long. Shave off all his hair, wash himself in the water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. Now, after being pronounced clean, he then would shave off all of his hair and his whole body. You might think, why, why in the world would you have to do that? I think it does a couple things. First of all, if you've been covered head to toe in sores and your body's been falling apart, and you've been touched and made clean, can you imagine as, he was, as that leper, male or female, was shaving the hair away from their body and their flesh, what they would see is that perfect, clean flesh, no longer tainted. But also, it says in the Bible, it says of a woman, that her hair is her what? It's her glory. It also says, it speaks of a man that, that a beard is a sign of maturity. But if you were to remove your glory and to shave yourself, to shave off your beard as a man. It was an act of humility. It was coming before God and humbly. An act of humility and honoring before the Lord and saying, you know what, Lord, you've cleansed me, you've touched me, and I come before you in all humility and brokenness. Verse 9. But on the seventh day, he shall shave off all the hair of his head, his beard and his eyebrows, all the hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes, wash his body in the water, and he shall be clean. So not only after he shaved initially, but seven days later he would shave again. Remaining in that place of humility, being clean before God, knowing that his leprosy was gone. But also he would cleanse his clothes. And I find that interesting because what do you think was still, could still be on your clothes? Leprosy. You know, there's a picture to me that as Christians, when we become new creations in Christ, that we need to leave the old life behind. Amen? We need not to be hanging on to our old clothes. And our old stuff. I mean clothed in our old ways. We become new creations in Christ. 
All, you know, all of our sin has passed away. We're new creations in Him. We need to walk with Him. We need to walk in repentance and know what that means. And so we see here that they, they took their clothes and they got rid of and they cleansed themselves and they washed their clothes. They examined themselves before the Lord. And they were examined by the Lord. Continued cleansing. And notice that they washed them. And I like that. He washed His body in what? In water. Water, again, a picture of the Word and a picture of the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, we've talked about this many times, does that mean you just put the get out of hell free card in your wallet and write the date down you got saved and then game over? Oh, got my get out of hell free card. Go live like the world now. Yeah, got it. I walked out of hell, prayed a prayer. Billy Graham, me and Billy Graham. Prayed with him, right? I, you know, I'm, I'm set. I'm hooked up. It's all good, right? I don't have to do anything else. Right here you notice that after they've been cleansed, what do they do? They continue to wash themselves. And we too as believers, we need to continue to be cleansed by the Word. We need to continue to spend time in the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to grow in your faith, you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, you need to spend time in His Word. Read your Bible and pray every day, right? We talk about that all the time. We need to open this thing up. And we see here that they're cleansing themselves with the water. They're cleansed. They're saved again, yet still pursuing that personal holiness and intimate fellowship with the Lord. Verse 10. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. So on the eighth day, after he was cleansed and he was pronounced clean, he now could do something he has not been able to do the entire time he was in the leper colony. Worship. He could make sacrifice again. He could come to the temple one more time. Finally, I can enter back into that place of fellowship with Almighty God. Do you know that the Bible clearly tells us that when we sin, even as Christians, we do not lose our salvation because that's not possible, but we break fellowship with God. Amen? We break fellowship with Him. How many of you in your own walk, you've had times in your walk where you're just not walking with the Lord? You've chose to, well, Lord, you know, I love you, but I, right now, this is more important than you. And what's great, and what we see here in this picture, is that now, once the leprosy has been touched and cleansed, once she's been restored to that place of fellowship, now he comes right back into a place of worship. We talked before how you can take a million steps away from God, but it truly is only one step back. So they'd had this outward of cleansing, but now they still needed inward atonement. Amen? They've been touched, they've been cleansed, they, the blood been sprinkled upon them, but they still needed to come before the Lord. And a log of oil there, just in case you're curious, is about three-fifths of a pint. Verse 11. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and the things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The priest who makes him clean. I like that. If you underline stuff in your Bible, underline that. Who makes you clean? Your good works. How hard you try. All the good things that you've done. How are you grade on the curve compared to the rest of the world? No, it says the priest who made him clean. Who makes you clean? Jesus does. We cannot be good enough. Now, we're to desire to walk in holiness before God, but we cannot be good enough. And the only way we can walk in holiness is if we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so we see here a very clear picture of that, the priest who made him clean, not the man who cleansed himself. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It's him that can present us faultless, not me. It's him. And to him alone 
be all the glory. And the priest brought him before the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Those of you guys who were here in Exodus, this is right outside the holy place. And now he could enter back in. Before he was yelling, unclean! And now he could come and enter right back into that place. The place where the Shekinah glory of Almighty God dwelt. He'd come back into his presence one more time. What an awesome moment this must have been for the leprous man. Now we're going to look at some of the sacrifices, and I'll go through these quickly because we did spend a lot of time on these in Exodus. Verse 12, And the priest shall take one male lamb and, and offer it as a trespass offering and a log of oil and wave them as wave offerings before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place, for as the sin offering is the priest, so the trespass offering, it is most holy. Now the trespass offering was the offering that was, if you guys were here and if you weren't, just catch up. It was the offering that was brought for known sin. I blew it, I know it, and I need to get right. So along with this offering that was brought, you would bring restitution to the person you had sinned against. I've, I, you know, I stole from my neighbor, so I'm supposed to bring back to him 120% of what I took, and then I would bring this trespass offering that would restore me back into fellowship with Almighty God. Now it says there they would brought part of it as a wave offering, because God would provide for the priest through the sacrifices. So the sacrifices were brought, and we'll go into them in detail in a minute, but a portion of it was literally held up to the Lord or waved before God, saying, this is yours, but then a portion of it was then given to the priest and would provide for him and his family. That's what the wave offering was. It was, it was offered up, also called a heave offering. It was held up before the Lord, it was waved before the Lord, but then it was given to the priest, okay? A portion of the trespass offering as his provision. Now what did they do with the trespass offering? They would kill the lamb. And the first thing they would do, again, they would bring it into their home. They would inspect it for four days. They would make sure that it was without blemish and it was perfect. They would, they would then lay their hands on the head of the lamb in a representation that this lamb represents me and my sin. They would then look in those big, dark eyes of that innocent little lamb that has done nothing, and they would slit its throat. Again, a picture of the fact that innocence had to die because of my sin. The perfect lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. They would then sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then they would cut it open and cut the fat and the liver and the kidneys and the fatty lobe. And they would cut it all out. And it was just a huge bloody mess. And you might say, why would God want to do things this way? I believe many reasons, but I believe one of them was that God wants us to know how awful sin is. That sin requires a great price. And that, you know, it wasn't just flipping a coin into a fountain as you walked by. I mean, literally, you had to take this animal and there had to be a sacrifice that was made. Then it says where he would take the, the, the he would kill at the same place where he killed the sin offering. And where was the sin offering made? The sin offering was made on the north side of the altar. Again, a picture of what? Calvary on the north side of the city. It would, then it says that it would promote, uh, produce a sweet smelling aroma in the presence of God. It was most holy before the Lord. Verse 14. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and put it on the tip of the right ear of him as to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, the big toe of his right foot. Now it's interesting, the right ear. Now where else did we see this? When did they do this exact thing? Who remembers? When they anointed who? Aaron, the priest. When they anointed the priest, they took the blood and they put it on, their, on the ear and on the thumb and on the toe. And again, a symbol of what we hear what we do, and where we walk. Amen? And so we saw here that th this is a cleansing, looking back at all that they've heard, all that you've heard, 
all that you've done and everywhere that you've walked and you're being cleansed of all of it. Aren't you glad? Amen? Aren't you glad that God takes it all? All of my sin took it all. All of it placed upon him. Praise the Lord. We've all heard things we shouldn't have, done things we shouldn't have done, gone places we shouldn't have been, and praise God they've been covered by the blood of Christ. Verse 15. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. Seven in the Bible, the number of what? Perfection or completeness. Verse 17. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some of it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering. Now, interesting. After the blood was applied, what was then applied? What does it say here? The what? The oil. After the blood is applied, then the oil comes. After we've been cleansed of the things that we've heard, after we've been cleansed of the places that we've gone and the things that we've done, now the oil is applied to oil a picture of what? Holy Spirit. Only when the blood has been applied, only when our sins have been paid for, then and only then can the Holy Spirit come to live inside of us. Amen? And now he was anointing him for his future walk. The blood was applied for the sin in the past, and the oil was applied that he might walk in holiness in the future. Amen? Isn't that what happened with us when you were born again? The blood of Christ cleansed you of all your sin, and then he gave you a gift in the Holy Spirit to live inside of you to, ge- to lead and guide and direct your life going forward. The only way we, cannot, we can walk without sinning is to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, and yet we will, even then we will still struggle. Verse 18. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Interesting. He poured the oil out on his head. What would we call that? What do you call that? Anointing. Four groups of people anointed in the Bible. Like this. Kings. Remember David? Remember he was anointed king by who? By Samuel. Okay? Prophets, priests, and lepers. Doesn't that blow your mind? Kings, prophets, priests, and lepers anointed with oil poured upon their heads. But remember, this is a leper who has been cleansed. Amen? You know what that tells me? That God has called all of us. Whether kings or priests or prophets, I believe all of those describe Christ. And we're the lepers who've been cleansed. Amen? And God has anointed you with His Holy Spirit. And He desires to use you to have an impact on the world that's around you. Isn't it interesting that the word Christ means what? Who knows? What does it mean? Anointed one. And it's interesting that those who were anointed were the kings. Who's the king of kings? Jesus. The priests. Who's the great high priest? Jesus. The prophets. Who's the ultimate of all prophets? Jesus Christ. And then the lepers who've been cleansed, and who is it that came and took the sin of all mankind upon himself and went to the cross to die in our place? Not by chance that those who are anointed all point to Christ and that we too, as Christians, have been anointed by God for service. What an awesome thing. Verse 19 and 20. Then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. Now, the burnt offering again, and we'll take a look at that in a moment. Look at verse 20. And the priest shall offer for the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar, so the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. The burnt offering and the sin offering were offerings that went together. They were the offerings that were mandatory. 
Sin offering, again, the same exact thing, but it was burnt on the wood outside of the city gates. Again, on the wood outside of the city gates, the picture of the crucifixion. Also, in the sin offering, they would take the blood and they would put the blood on the, on the horns of the altar. Remember, the horns were the four horns on the altar that held the sacrifice down. Again, yet another picture of the cross. The burnt offering, which is a picture of Christ's total submission, in that case, what they did is they not only slit the throat of the animal, but then they would skin it, skin it completely. And then they would burn it entirely as a sacrifice. And again, I believe the skinning is a picture of Jesus being scourged, right? They skinned the animal, and what did they do to our Savior? They basically skinned him alive. You know, you, you take a, you know, a scourging where they take a cat of nine tails, and they give you 40 lashes, 40 lashes minus one. Many died after seven or eight lashes because there was no skin left. You began to bleed. You were held around a post. And you got to the point where your organs would be exposed after eight or nine or ten lashes. And they just kept whipping our Savior. The Bible says that he could not, you couldn't even recognize him. He was beaten to, the, to beyond recognition. And that's what I believe the burnt offering points to. Just the total just sacrifice of our Savior and how badly he was beaten on our behalf. And then it says there, they took also the grain offering. We talked about this. I won't go into detail, but it's a picture of Christ's perfection. It was fine flour sifted. It, was, it had oil in it, a picture of the Holy Spirit. It had no leaven untouched by evil. Now, verses 21 through 32 is a repeat. And I'm gonna just going to read this because it's the exact same thing that we just saw in the verses we just read, except that it's for a poor person. It says, but if he is poor and cannot afford it, then he shall take one male lamb. Now, instead of two lambs and a ewe, one male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived to make atonement for him. One-tenth of an ephah of fine flour will be mixed with oil as a grain offering, a log of oil. And then two turtle doves or two young pigeons, such as he is able to afford. One shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. So instead of using animals this time, they use birds because the Lord is available to all men. Amen? It's not how much money we have. It's not how wealthy we are. We can all approach him. And you could buy these birds for pennies. They were of very little value. But notice that you still always had to have the lamb. You could have the birds for the burnt offering, but you always had to have the lamb. Why? Because whether you're rich or poor, no matter who you are, you must have the lamb of God. You must come by the way of Jesus Christ. Let me just read through this. He shall bring them to the priests on the eighth day, verse 23, cleansing to the door of the tabernacle. This is exactly the same stuff as the previous verses. The priest shall take the lamb of the trespass offering, a log of oil, and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the tip of the right ear of him as to be cleansed, and on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the place of the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him was to be cleansed. Again, anointing him, anointing the cleansed leper to make atonement for him before the Lord. Remember, atonement at one meant through the atoning work of Christ, we are once again at one with God. 
Man was separated from God because of sin, but we are at one with him again through the atoning work of the cross. Verse 30. He shall offer one of the turtle doves of young pigeons, such as he can afford, such as he had been able to afford, one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering with a grain offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. This is the law for one who had a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. So it's virtually identical to what we just read, but this time it's for someone with less money. I will just say this one thing. When they did it with a bird, they would take a bird and the first thing they would do is wring its neck. Then they would split it open in the middle without breaking its bone, and they would spread it open. Interesting that they crowned our Savior. They ringed his head, right, with a crown of thorns. And they would spread the wings of the bird to make sacrifice. And again, a picture of the cross. So whether it's the lamb or, you know, the turtle dove, it always points back to Jesus. Now we're going to move on quickly and just look at the law concerning leprous houses. Because not only were there leprous people, but leprosy could infect a home. And I want you to just think about your own home right now, okay? As we go through this, think about the fact that leprosy can infect our homes. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron again, saying, so again, he switches trains of thought here. When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in the house, in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, it seems to me that there's some plague in the house. Now, first of all, I just love just how the Bible is just so awesomely prophetic. By the way, guys, when you move into Canaan, quite a few years from now, after you wander around in the wilderness, you're going to move into some houses. Right now, you guys live in tents. But you're going to move into some houses, and when you get into those houses, there's going to be an occasion where someone's going to come and say, there's leprous things growing inside of my house. That's prophecy, you guys. Amen? How awesome is that, that he's speaking to them about things that are many, many years in front of them, but he's speaking to them about them with authority because he knows they're true because he's God who inspires the word. You know what that makes me think about? It makes me think about this book of Revelation in the back here. Amen? Is God, God has prophesied what's going to happen in the end. By the way, we win. Amen? Isn't that good? But when you go back here and you look at the book of Revelation, all you got to do is look at the newspaper and look at this book. It's amazing, right? I've been over in Israel. You see what's going on over there. You see what's going on right now. Why is everybody so focused on Israel? Because God said they would be. But just the same surety that was talked about here in Leviticus about what was going to happen some years in the future, we can trust the book of Revelation with the same amount of surety. Amen? That what God says will happen exactly the way He says it will. And praise the Lord for that. God giving them instructions on how to, on, on their, on how to rid their houses of imperfection in Cana. Now he says there, I put the leprous rage and uh, leprous plague in the house. He says in Zechariah, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief, the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. So literally he's saying here that the curse can originate with God. And what I mean by that is if we walk in disobedience to the Lord, sin has consequences. Amen? Doesn't it have consequences? Yes. But sin has consequences because God loves us. Because if it had no consequences, there'd be no reason to stop sinning. Amen? Now, we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, and that's what leads us away from sin. But sin should have consequences. Sometimes we pray for people that have totally blown it, and we pray that there be no consequences. Sometimes we need to pray that the consequences will be heavy. So they will be broken. Now, I have to confess to you, you know, sometimes you want justice for others, but we always want mercy for ourselves. Isn't that true? 
Oh, man, justice. I can't believe what that guy did. And then happens to someone in your family, like, well, you know, he's really pretty, I mean, I know him. He's a pretty good guy. I'm thinking leniency, right? And it's amazing how we swing depending on if we know the person or not, right? Oh, justice. Oh, mercy, right? And you know what? When I stand before God, I'm not asking for justice. Amen? Mercy. Amen? But we see here that God does, because of the of the disobedience of his own people, he allows the plagues to come so that they might be broken and brought to a place of desperation for him. Okay, you're trusted in your job. I think I'll just take that away. Okay, you love your girlfriend more than you love me. Let's just get rid of that relationship. Oh, you, 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 you're so caught up in, in my case, college football. Well, let me just get rid of that right knee of yours, and now let's take care of that problem. I mean, there's things that we can make as false idols that get in our way of our relationship with God, and sometimes it's not even something that's bad necessarily, but we're giving up that which is best to go, over that, go after that which is good. And God will often remove that. And we see here, he says, I'm going to bring the plague on your house. That leprosy might come so that they might be crying out to be cleansed by him once again. We'll go through this quickly. And he, he who owns the house, verse 36, Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to examine the house. So the, at the first sign of the plague in the house, the homeowner was to go directly to the priest. And again, great example for you and I, especially for your dads. At the first sign of infection in your house, bring it to the Lord. Amen? First time you're struggling with your kids, don't try to figure out the best, you know, God will use you, but you go to him first. Amen? Lord, help. Help me to be a, a godly dad. Give me wisdom in how to discipline my son that's out of control, or my daughter that's out of control, or, or, you know, the struggles in my marriage. Take it to him first. And when the infection flared up inside the house and the walls started having leprosy grow on them, you know, it's interesting, when they, back then they probably were thinking, what does that mean? But have you ever seen what mold does to a house today? Isn't it amazing? Game over. We had a lady we worked with. I mean, Rick and I, my dad, we worked with her. Her house, they're, they're, they got to level it, bulldoze it. They're, game over. Mold's ruined it. And leprosy is very much a, a picture of that. Is it growing in the house? The house will be destroyed and will be of no value anymore. Verse 37, he shall examine the plague, and indeed if the plague is on the walls of the house with, with, uh, in Grain Street, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house for seven days. And the priest shall again open on the seventh day and look. And indeed if the plague is spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside of the city. So when you find uncleanness on the wall, what were they to do with it? They were to remove it from the house and take it out to an unclean place and throw it away. Dads especially, moms too, but dads especially because I believe we have a higher level of accountability before God one day. If there's stuff on your walls at home, if there's stuff in your kids' rooms that doesn't belong there, well, they need their space. You know what? If they're in my house, it's my space. Amen? That's how I feel about it. Hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And I'm not going to have, I, I wouldn't have a crack dealer living in one of my bedrooms. And I'm not going to have stuff going on in my house that doesn't honor the Lord. God has given, God has called me not to be my children's pal, but to be their parent. Amen? Now, I love my kids. I would die for them. I mean, you want to you see me get weepy? Just talk to me about my kids. I drive down the freeway sometimes just thinking about my children. I'm game over. I'm a mess. I got pictures of my kids while I'm studying, and somehow I'll just look at their pictures when they were little, and I'm, I'm undone, because I love them so much. 
But you know what? I also love them enough that I desire above all else that they serve and walk with God. And sometimes that means that I'm not going to be very popular with my kids. And we're going to go in, just like the priest, the pre- God has called us to be the priest of our household, and if we see stuff on the walls that doesn't belong there, or we hear music coming out of that, that radio player in their room that shouldn't belong there, or we hear conversations on the phone with people that shouldn't be taking place, we see things in our house, we need to cleanse it. Take it out of there. Again, in a loving way, but say, you know what? Love you, but what everybody else is doing it, I don't care. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. I don't want you on that road. Amen? God is a faithful God. You know, the books, the magazines. How about the internet access? Hey, I want to encourage some of you. Some of you who are living in a situation where you're with somebody who's not saved. You have an unsaved roommate. God does not desire that you live in that circumstance. Amen? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, that's talking about marriage. It's talking about being yoked together in business or as a roommate. I want to encourage you. We minister to the world, but we have no fellowship with it. Amen? We minister to them. We love them. Jesus loves them. But we're not to be tied in with them the way the world is. It says, as, and verse 40, 41, And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around. The dust they shall scrape off. They shall pour out in an unclean place outside of the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones. And he shall take other mortar and plaster in his house. You know, I always try to do that. When I take something away from my kids that I think is stumbling them, I try to replace it with something godly. I used to have kids in my youth group. I, most of you know I was a youth pastor for a long time. In San Jose, we had hundreds of kids in our youth group. I'd hear a kid in the youth group listening to, you know, Marilyn Manson or something, right? And I'd walk up and say, is that kind of music you like? I'll make you a deal. I'd walk them over to the Christian bookstore, and I'd go, these guys rock, and they play that kind of music. I'll give you these three CDs. You give me that one. Take it and snap it in half, throw it in the trash. Listen to this instead. Take that away, which is ungodly, and replace it with something else. Take that away, which is stumbling and causing our children to fall away, and replace it with something godly. It says here, take away those stones that are infected and replace them with the clean ones. Verse 43. Now, if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he's taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague is spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, all the plaster of the house, he shall carry them outside of the city to an unclean place. So guess what? If he comes back and that leprosy continues to grow, he t- tear the house down. House must be broken, dismantled completely, and the materials never used again. Verse 46. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. He who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes. He who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. Again, if you go into a, an unclean house, any who came near the uncleanness were defiled by it. The Bible says, can a man hold fire to his bosom and not be burned? Can you walk through a muddy field clothed in white clothing and not come out muddy? Can you hang out with the world and not be tainted by the world? Again, do we love the world? Yes. Do we have a holier-than-thou attitude? You guys are sinners. No. We're sinners. We're just one beggarly and another beggar to the bread. Amen. We need to have a supernatural love for the world. We are not to fellowship with it. Minister to it, but not fellowship with it. Thank you for your patience. We're almost done. Verse 48. But the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague is not spread in the house after the house was plastered. And the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house. Where have we heard this before? Two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, 
and hyssop. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. He shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird in the running water and sprinkle it on the house seven times. He shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in an open field and make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. What cleanses the house? What is it ultimately? What's that a picture of? Jesus. People think that your house would be cleansed if you just made more money. You know, my house would be cleansed if I just learned to communicate better. My house would be cleansed if my kids would just start obeying. And we go and we try to find psychology and we, we call and we think that there's something out there that will cleanse my house and will get things back in order. Let me tell you what will cleanse your house. Jesus. Amen? You want to start praying with and for your kids. Having a problem with them, in pray with them. Pray for them. Be the spiritual leader in your home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And you know what? It is cleansed through Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in my home. Not through the, the latest book from the greatest guy about how to do your kid, or the greatest thing. And we're always looking for an answer. And I want to tell you, there's a great book that will help your house. It's right here. Amen? We didn't read books about the Bible. Let's just read the books in the Bible. Amen? And it's amazing how God will use this to transform our homes. Last three verses. And it says, This is the law of any leprous sore scale, for the leprosy of the garment and of the house, for the swelling in the scab and the bright spot, to teach them when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. So this is an admonition that God's men would be able to teach about what is clean and what is unclean. That to answer to either an individual's life being eaten away and destroyed by leprosy of sin or a home being infected by, by leprosy. Your kids are struggling because the world's got a hold of them. I've shared this with you guys before. If you haven't seen that video, They Sold Their Souls to Rock and Roll, I encourage you to grab it and watch it. Amen? How many of you guys have seen it? Didn't it isn't it life-changing? Eminem looks right in the screen and says, I got your kids, man. I got them. I own your kids. Your kids are listening to me. They're not listening to you. We need to know that we need to cleanse our houses because the enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to get into our house. He wants to infect the walls. He wants to destroy our household. And the only thing we can do, the thing that we can do, not the only thing, the great thing we can do is turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you again for the fact that we were all lepers. And Lord, in our leprosy, that you touched us, you cleansed us, and you made us into new creations, Lord. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that it's, we didn't work our leprosy off, but Lord, that you touched us. And then, Lord, you took our leprosy upon yourself and went to the cross and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. I thank you for the picture, though, here that you are a risen and living Savior, that you've triumphed over sin and death, Lord. I pray for the homes represented here. Help us, Lord, to, as you've touched us and cleansed us, that, Lord, our houses would be made clean as well. That, Father God, we would not compromise in our homes. That we would not allow the, there to be a moldy room in our house where we just continue to let the leprosy grow and we compromise in the things we watch in our entertainment center or the music that we listen to or the, the things that we entertain ourselves with or the people that we hang out with or the things that we allow our children to do, Lord. May we not compromise. May we, Lord, just come before you and set our houses apart to you and for your glory. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord. You're such a great and an awesome God. And I just thank you for the patience of the people here tonight in a long chapter, Lord. I just pray you bless each one of them. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.